I think that you kind of have to not care what people think of you, but you can't care if people think you're, oh, this person just working too hard, or why is that person staying late, or is that person a goody two-shoes? Welcome to Champions Mojo Weekly Podcast, where your hosts Kelly Palace and Maria Parker share with you what it takes to be a champion. Kelly is a former Division I head swim coach, Olympic trials qualifier, and holds Masters World and National Swimming Records. And Maria holds world records in endurance cycling and was the overall women's winner of the world's toughest bike race, Race Across America. They'll be sharing their personal stories and wisdom, along with interviewing other champions to give you the tools you need for becoming a true champion in your own life. And now, your host, Kelly Palace. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Champions Mojo podcast, where I am co-hosting with Maria Parker. Hey, Maria. Hey, Kelly. I'm so glad to be here today. Me too. Maria, we have a real treat for our listeners. Our guest today is a two-time Olympian in the 2004 and the 2008 Olympics. She also broke the world record in the 400 IM and the American record in the 200 IM. In the 2008 Olympics, she won a silver and two bronze medals. Though to some people that is a huge accomplishment, our guest had the pressure of being expected and wanting to win gold or golds in those Olympics, and we're going to hear more about that. But our guest is none other than one of our swimming community's greatest of all time, Katie Hoff. But there's more on Katie, Maria, and could you please share a little bit of that? Sure, Kelly. Katie opted to skip college swimming and turn pro in 2006 when she signed a 10-year endorsement deal with Speedo longer than any deal Speedo had ever signed at the time, including Phelps. Hoff won a combined seven gold medals at the 2005, 2007, and 2011 World Championships. After taking one year off after 2012 and mounting a serious comeback in 2013, she began to have health problems, which we'll talk about, and then Katie retired from competition in 2015. We're delighted to have Katie with us. Katie, welcome to Champions Mojo. Yes, Katie, welcome. Thank you guys so much. I'm really excited to chat today. We're really delighted. Yes. So what have you been up to lately? Well, <laughs> lately I've been, you know, in the thick of quarantine, I think with everybody else out there. I actually just, my husband and I drove eight hours from where we currently live in New Jersey, Weehawken, New Jersey, to Michigan uh, to quarantine with uh, my in-laws, which is, I feel like sometimes in-laws is a bad word, but I get along really, really well with them. So we're very fortunate to be able to be with family during this time. <laughs> I like yeah. to hear that because <laughs> I, I live next next door to my daughter-in-law and I often wonder if she, if in-law is a bad word for her, but I hope it isn't. No, I, 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 don't, I think in-laws is a good word on this podcast because we're sister-in-laws. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Kelly yeah. and I are sister. We love that word. In-laws is the yeah. most beautiful word in the English language. <laughs> it is. Yes. It is. Yeah. It's, it's been really nice. And I've been doing some fun webinars, providing some dry land exercises for swimmers out there, which has been really fun and working on finishing up my book. So really been taking advantage of this time. Ooh, tell us about your book. Yeah, so my book has kind of been in the works for a number of years, but I never really felt like I had, I guess, the perspective, the courage, um, multiple emotions to really confront and face my past and, and work with someone um, that I really trusted. So I worked with a ghostwriter to get out all of my feelings, all of my thoughts, really construct a very... Uh, inspiring, motivating story. And we've been working on that for the past six months now. And it's at completion right now. So I'm now taking the next step to publishing and really, really looking forward to getting my story out there. That must have been really therapeutic for you to do that. Yes, therapeutic, cathartic, so many words, healing. Uh, I think it's been way more rewarding than I could have ever expected. And the way that the story is written and framed, I'm very, very proud. Oh, I can't wait to read that. I, I would love it if more Olympians like you, and there are very few 
that have had the career that you've had, but your story is so inspirational. I can't wait to read it. That is fantastic. So your career now, you have been retired five years. And what are your thoughts looking back on it? And I'm going to preface this by saying that we had already booked you on the show. And I want you to address this, you know, topic that I'm sure is addressed in your book, but Swim Swam, one of our um, publications that we love or swim news outlets that we love published. I don't know if you saw it. I'm sure you probably did. The top 10 greatest swimmers in the world that never won a gold medal. And and you were number two. I did see that. With that, like, like, like I said in your intro, your, your career, 99.9% of the whole people in the world would think that was just the most amazing swimming career. You world record holder, American record holder, umpteen championships, world championships, but you never got that gold. And I'd love to just hear how you're putting that in perspective five years later. Yeah, that's a great question. And it's actually interesting, the timing of that article coming out, because it was at the tail end of my book. And a lot of the process of my book has been understanding, coming to terms with framing that particular thing of the, the really the one thing that I wasn't able to achieve, which is a gold medal and, and really being able to put that into words. And, I, you know, I think it's never something that you're, you're, I, I think what I concluded is that you're never going to fully come to terms with something like that. You know, you train for years, you put everything on the line, you put your heart, soul, blood, sweat, tears into this goal. And when that slips away from you, it's never going to feel good. But I think after about five years of kind of truly falling off the grid, I really did take a full step away from the swimming world and community to kind of find myself away from that. And now that I've done that and kind of circled back, circled back to it through my book, through reaching out to friends, teammates, being more involved in clinics, I've really arrived at the fact that it's not always about that. It's not always about, okay, I didn't get a gold, but look at what that shaped me into. Look at the skill sets that gave me, look at the experiences I was able to go through because of that quest, because of that journey. And that's truly, I think, where I've arrived and the the ending of the book does such a great job of wrapping that up. I don't want to give away too much, but that in essence is, is where I've really found peace. Oh, that's, that's beautiful. I, I saw a, um, a TEDx or a TED talk that you did called relentless. I'm sure it's been seen many, many, many times. And, and I, it was, it was really, really inspirational, but I think one of the things that, you know, as you're talking about this, one of the things I'm thinking is, you know, you were really are, I assume, really, really competitive person and you throw everything into, you know, into what you do and you and you have incredible talent. And so there was just tremendous pressure on you as just a young, young, young girl. And you're still young. You're still young. You got your whole life in front of you. <laughs> I guess, you know, I, I think it it's... I, I'm I'm loving hearing you talk about um, the you know the time away and being able to reframe that that experience and what I'm hearing you saying is that you're grateful for what you what you did and what you got out of it is that is that the you know the major lesson for you? Yeah, I think grateful is a is a perfect word for it. I think the the biggest thing for me for me in that process to get to grateful because I think there was a lot of uh, resentment on my part from the way that I had to leave the sports and just feeling like I didn't have this perfect ending to what I wanted my quote unquote fairy tale to look like. So to, to not be able to have that go as planned was, was really difficult. So I wasn't able to be grateful for five years. And there was just, there's always this nagging feeling in my life that I, my husband who was an elite athlete himself was always noticing. And he kind of had to watch me go through this 
this process of kind of mourning uh, that I think anyone has when they pour everything into something and it doesn't necessarily go the way that they had intended it. And I'm just so happy that I was able to get there. I think sometimes people go their whole lives and they just kind of push it under the rug or just never address it again. And it manifests itself in different ways in a negative way. And I feel so much better and it's still a work in progress. I'm certainly not saying that I'm perfect and just feeling amazing every single day, but being able to now feel more grateful and have a better appreciation for my career has allowed me to write a book. It has allowed me to want to be on podcasts and speak about it and, and give speeches and give a TED talk and, and all these wonderful things that I would have never been able to do had I not gotten to that place. Yeah. And I think, you know, I'm just going to sound funny saying this because we've had so many, but many, many, many people have won Olympic gold medals. You haven't done that, but your story is so unique in how your career ended and now you, this may be the avenue that you didn't know was, was actually the golden path to the top of the podium. You know, I just see so many opportunities in this for you to reach maybe more people that have things end not the way they expected. So that was a very powerful statement for me when you said, you know, your career ended differently. And I'd love for you to talk about that because not everyone knows swimming careers now I think you could have gone on and made the 2016 Olympic team and possibly won gold there, you know, so, but your career ended differently. And can you share with our listeners what happened? Yeah. And thank you for saying all of that. I think that's what made having to end in this way that much more painful because I really was on that path. I was I was, I made the comeback, as you mentioned in 2013 and to start the whole point of that comeback was to really enjoy the process. I prior to that had not been enjoying the process. I had lost my passion a little bit, which is what prompted taking the year off. And for the first time in a really long time, I was enjoying going to practice. I had an awesome partnership with my coach. My husband uh, was training me on land. I felt so explosive and strong. And heading into the 2014 National Championships in Irvine, California, which is really the setup for everything leading into Olympic trials into Rio, because at that meet, for those listeners who don't know much about swimming, you qualify not only for the Pan Pacific Championships, but you qualify for the World Championships. So it really sets up your next two years swimming internationally for Team USA into the Olympics. And I was, I'll never forget, I was pacing, I mean, as fast as I was pacing in 2008 in a pace set the Saturday before we flew out to Irvine. And I remember just feeling so ecstatic, so relieved that I was kind of finding my pace again, finding my joy. And I landed and I remember feeling this just weirdness in my chest, I guess is the best way to describe it. Like kind of when you have a cold, you have a cold coming on or some type of sickness, you're like, that's weird. That just feels a little funny and feeling a little bit more shortness of breath than normal. And as any athlete in that situation would do, I kind of brushed it off and thought, okay, well, it's fine, whatever. I don't have time to get sick right now. It's just a cold. Don't worry about it. And to fast forward a couple of days that quickly moved into a sharp pain in my rib area. I swam the prelims of the 100 freestyles, kind of a tune-up for that meet and ended up getting out of the pool, not swimming great. And it moved into just like someone was a, had a samurai sword just stabbing me in my ribs. And unfortunately, I had to, had to pull out of that meat. And at that point, I was getting all these different diagnoses. I think the initial one was an intercostal strain. And I remember thinking, huh, a strain. How weak are you that you can't push through a strain? And at the time, flew back five hours, which now knowing what it was, 
the probably not the smartest idea, but flew back to Miami where I was living at the time and now commenced probably the most confusing six weeks of my life because I was going to different doctors. They were telling me that I had pneumonia. So they put me on a Z pack. They were telling me I had asthma. And here I am feeling crazy, weak, scared, because at one point the pain had gotten so intense in my rib area that I passed out onto the, thank goodness the bed was bare. (laughs) But um, finally demanded a... um, a blood test where my D dimer, which is a indication of a blood clot was elevated, got a CAT scan and immediately was admitted to the hospital because I had two blood clots in my right lung. Oh my gosh. Yes. So there was a, I think that at that point there was a combination of, I was definitely worried, but most of it was relief because for six weeks I had felt like what I just was started to question myself, like, what's wrong with me? Like, why am I having this extreme pain? But no one can find out what's wrong with me. And they, you know, I wasn't thinking about the fact that I mean, there's a hundred, I found out later, a hundred thousand Americans die every year from a pulmonary embolism. It, it happens all the time. And I didn't, I wasn't thinking about death. I was thinking, oh, so the blood thinners you're going to put me on now, is that going to affect my endurance? You know, I'm still in the mindset of an athlete and wanting to swim fast and not thinking about my life. And to to not go into too much detail, I kept trying to swim. I kept trying to make it work. Uh, and ultimately what I was told by a surgeon and doctor was that the scar tissue that built up in my lungs during that period where the blood clots were in there uh, gave enough that it was going to be really, really challenging to swim at my top level for trials because obviously swimming lungs are a pretty important part of <laughs> part of being successful. And I had to ultimately make the decision to retire because I just, the whole point of coming back was to enjoy the process. And I was miserable each and every day. I was crying. I couldn't breathe. And it just wasn't worth it to me to end my career at trials miserable, you know, not being the best version of myself for my teammates, my family, my husband. And that's when I retired in, uh, the December of 2015. Yes. And, and put that in a little bit of perspective for you coming back, you know, how the, obviously we're going to talk more about this particular illness and, and also, you know, what it means in general for people, but your 400 IM at your best was 431.1. Is that, yes. that right? Yeah. So, yes. and to make the 2016 team, you would have only had to swim a 436.8. You know, so it, it wasn't even that far out of your realm to make your fourth, your third Olympic team four Olympics apart. So you were really could have been on track to make that team when this, these blood clots derailed you. So, how common is this? What I, I guess you've been doing work with this organization or tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I think that was the silver lining and everything. I was able to work with Jansen and Zarelto. And I actually went, there was a commercial, which was crazy. And going, you know, going to LA and filming this commercial was was really fun. And 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 the best part about it was I was able for a year to go around to different doctors conventions, um, you know, different uh, speaking summits to raise awareness for pulmonary embolism, DVT to really help doctors understand that it doesn't just happen to older people. There's so many younger people that have the condition. Uh, There's so many, I guess you could say, quote unquote, healthy people, looking people that experience this because I felt like that was the, that was the biggest struggle for me when I was going through the diagnosis process is the doctor would walk in and say, well, you look healthy. (laughs) What does that mean? And it, it, it meant so much to be able to give back, raise awareness, feel like I was actually able to put power behind something traumatic that had happened to me. And I think that's also where I caught the, the public speaking bug a little bit too. I had always done clinics and done speaking engagements through Speedo or different sponsors, but this was the first time that I'd really spoken in front of 
you know, I, I guess a group or demographic that wasn't just swimmers. It was, you know, highly respected doctors and, and I felt such a um, charge and sense of pride to be able to speak in front of a group like that. That's amazing. You know, my husband's a physician and I was talking about your diagnosis, you know, mentioning it to him and he was like, oh yeah, yeah, that's, especially after a long plane ride, what people, I guess you can, can you give your like 30 second uh, warning for people, <laughs> you know, what to, what to look for, what to, you know, avoid? Yeah, I, I think, you know, with mine, it, it wasn't even because so plane, long plane rides is definitely one. Birth control is definitely another, you know, possible cause and injury, you know, a really intense traumatic injury. Those are some, some big indicators, lower heart rate. So obviously as an athlete, my resting heart rate's 39, oh uh, dehydrate. Yeah. Dehydration. So these are all things uh, you can have it run in your family. For me, they ruled out pretty much everything other than potentially the dehydration. I was living in Miami. So it's obviously hot and the lower heart rate, but everything mm -hmm. else, I, I mean, I tested for everything under the sun. Um, and the biggest thing that happens is you feel something, you feel, you know, a pain in your, in your calf, most of the time, sometimes in mm -hmm. your leg. And I actually remember my mom saying, yeah, you called me and you said your, your legs were really sore. Your calf was sore and being an athlete, you're sore all the time. So mm -hmm. I think that's the hardest thing to catch when you are just used to that feeling. And I had that about a week and a half before I set out to fly out to Irvine. Mm. Mm. So the DVT means deep vein thrombosis. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. So there's two different times. There's the, there's the DVT and then the pulmonary embolism. I had the pulmonary embolism. Uh, and, and so once you have that, it can travel. So it can, you know, they travel from my calf to my lungs and, and thank goodness for the fact that I'm still breathing today, it didn't travel, you know, to my brain, it, it because that's essentially deadly. Yeah, yeah. If, do you think if they had caught it in your calf, it would have made a difference? Potentially, yes. I think the sooner that you can get on blood thinners and and go see a doctor, the better. I just didn't. It's interesting because part of that campaign, I was able to go and talk with other athletes who experienced it. One of them was Brian Vickers, who was a NASCAR driver, and he had DVT. And he talked about uh, just very similar reactions, just not thinking about it, um, not really realizing what it was. Um, and I think that's, that's the biggest, the biggest issue is people don't go to their doctor right away. Yeah. And like you say, when you're an athlete, you're always sore. So, and you're never going to thinking about things like that. I, I'd like to talk, talk about um, something that really inspired me when I listened to your uh, Ted talk, you talked about finding your deep down or another, another gear, <laughs> yeah. which is, I mean, I, ah, that just blew me away. You know, just this idea that you realized as a kid that you had something and you could call on it when you, when you needed it. How have you used your deep down, your, you've also used words like intensity, strength, power. How have you used that, you know, to get through all this and in your new career? That's a great question. Yeah, the the deep down came from that's definitely in my book because it was such a pivotal moment in my life and my career of just finding, wow, like I can kick a little harder, I can pull a little harder. Now it's more painful and it sucks, but it's getting me to where I need to be, so it's worth it. I think I think my the message, it's funny, the message in my TED talk that I don't feel like I got to at the end because I didn't I wasn't ready for it was the fact that sometimes you have to use your deep down, which is kind of like your way of pushing through things for something that you don't, you don't, maybe you don't know why, <laughs> you know, when I finished my swimming career, I didn't know what my new need was or my why or my passion anymore. And it's taken me five years of just continuously needing to dig and try new things and be relentless in the face of not knowing what I was being deep down for. 
And I think that's the hardest thing. And that's the message I would want to give to people if I'd done my TED talk over again is maybe you don't have a why. Maybe you don't have a need that's, you know, allows you to go deep down. But that's all the more reason that you have to keep pressing forward to find that. And it, and it, it takes a lot of patience and it takes a lot of resilience because it could take a really long time. You know, for me, it took five years. So I think in order to get deep down, it's, it's just having that, that push, that, that ability to get back up because you know it's out there and you have the belief and trust that it's out there. I, I like when you talk about deep down, you know, I think some people think, you know, it's it's just all talent and certainly in your case, much of it must be talent. But but you talked about how it hurts. And I, you know, I, I think that's a really interesting message that it sucks, it hurts, but you but it's there. You know, how can a normal person, how can we discover in our life that extra gear that deep down? What's you know, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's funny because that from that talk is what really helped me develop that perspective and that message. So my new speech is called Embrace the Suck. <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah. So it's, it's a military uh, slang, obviously, but it's really just embracing the fact that anything worth accomplishing that's big enough is going to be painful physically mentally, emotionally, in its process. And in even sometimes when you are know for a fact that you're ready to accomplish something, life could still throw a curveball. And that's painful and sucks too. And I think the underlying push for anyone is defining, like I mentioned, that need or want. And the piece of it that I've kind of developed over the past year is that even if you, so say you're in a job that you just hate, <laughs> which is, I think some, unfortunately, a lot of people, there has to be, okay, well, I'm in this job, but this job is going to lead to my ultimate dream job. And if it's not, then making a pivot in your life needs to happen because you can really only embrace the pain, embrace the suck. If it's worth it in your mind, if it's big enough, if it's, scares you a little bit. But if you don't have that, it's going to be really, really difficult to find your your deep down and your extra gear. So so finding your why, knowing your why, looking for your why, figuring, you know, talking about your why is is sort of the way, is that what you're saying? Is the way to... to Yeah, that's the way to find your deep down. Mm -hmm, Yeah. mm -hmm. And sometimes I think not, I think not everyone is fortunate enough. I was really fortunate enough early in my life to find that in swimming, but I actually had to go through it again when I didn't have swimming and I had to start over and I had to understand, okay, what's going to allow me to elicit that deep down again. And it took me until now really to feel like I was able to find it again. So you might have to try out and embrace and toss a couple of whys before you get to another good why. Exactly. Beautiful. Beautiful. And Katie, your experience with having your career end on a note that you could have probably never thought would end it, you know, something kind of out of the blue and, and very sudden highly relates to what we have going on right now with the pandemic and People's swimming careers, you know, I especially think of the NCAA swimmers who were seniors who were, didn't didn't shave, you know, they didn't shave and taper for their conference meets because they were going to go and maybe win their first NCAA title or something. But, and even, even people that were going to get married, you know, in April that, that aren't getting married right now, or maybe, you know, there was just that one shining softball game that the NCAA people were going to play or something, but this pandemic has ended things for people in a way they never could have imagined. And you obviously have this great experience with what you've just gone through. What, what advice would you give to people who've had things end? Yeah. It's broken my heart to have to watch that on, 
everywhere. I mean, even a high schooler graduating from high school, missing their prom. I mean, it's happening on, on Mm -hmm. every level. Mm -hmm. I think the only advice that I've felt very genuine and authentic to give is, is controlling what you can control. And I think from, uh, you know, the swimmers that are going to continue on and, and look to 2021 to, to try out for the Olympic team, it's doing everything possible on land right now to stay strong, working on visualization, working on meditation, all the things that you can, can control without getting in a pool, uh, or without getting on a track or whatever, whatever facility you use in your sport, that's, that's really all I could do. You know, when I had the blood clot, it was just, okay, keep forging on, keep controlling what I can control. Some days I make break down and cry and I just need to let that happen, but just keep putting one foot in front of the other and, and continue to evaluate and analyze, okay, is this goal in front of me still what I want? Okay. If, if yes, then keep putting one foot in front of the other and, and finding things that make you feel empowered and make you feel in control of what's in front of you, even in a world where there are so many things that you could count that are out of your control. Hmm, that's great advice. Yeah. And how much of your process in going through that was mourning? A lot. <laughs> I think that's the, that's the biggest, my biggest message when I talk to people is I think sometimes we all want to be so positive and we want to say, okay, don't, don't, don't think about it. Just move on. Don't acknowledge just, you got to have a, put on a happy face, fake it till you make it. But I actually feel differently. I think it's so, so important to, to have a meltdown, to cry, to acknowledge that it, that it's awful. And that it's terrible. Like by keeping that bottled in and just pushing it under the rug, I think it makes it 10 times harder to put one foot in front of the other. And I, I actually always use this analogy and it has to do with the 400 IM. There's this moment in the ready room in the 400 IM where you have a couple swimmers that are kind of trying to do that, right? They're like smiling, saying, okay, this is great. I'm excited to swim. And then you have what I would do and what some of my teammates and I would do where just saying, wow, this is going to be so painful and this is going to suck. <laughs> like it, there's no way around it. Like the board that I am is just so painful. But the reason we do it is because in my opinion, it's the race that I felt the most satisfaction, the most fulfillment when I would break a record or go a best time. So it's worth it. But, but to sit there in the ready room and pretend that it's not going to absolutely be torturous while I do it takes more energy to pretend than just acknowledging it and then moving forward. And that's how I feel like I've pretty much have tried to approach everything in my life thus far is just acknowledging it. That doesn't mean you're being negative. It just means you're acknowledging some negativity and then letting it go and then moving forward. I like that. You're being true to your thoughts and your real emotions and honest about them. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. When you said um, in, in, in your TED talk again, you said that you have a need to be extraordinary. Can you tell me, tell me what that means and how you're living that? Yeah, I think extraordinary to me is my ultimate driver and need. And it's funny because when I first started swimming and when I ended in my career, I always thought, well, I have this need to be the best in the world as a swimmer. And and that's my identity. And as I took a step back and gained some perspective, it was, no, I just want to feel like I'm doing something exceptional. I'm doing something that makes an impact on others in a positive way or, you know, inspiring someone um, that I maybe don't even realize I'm inspiring. And that really, that was the kind of key and the lock that opened up everything for me because then I felt like I could see a lot more clearly. It's like, well, I don't have swimming, but swimming wasn't the, the reason. It was what swimming allowed me to do, which was make an impact. So I just have to now find something else that allows me to make an impact. And I think, you know, being able to share my story 
and write a book and, and do corporate speaking and, and be able to frame my message in a way that relates to others has become my new way of feeling extraordinary. Fantastic. Fantastic. Do you have a title for your book yet? Is it embracing the suck or what? <laughs> it, you know, what's funny is it started out as, oh my gosh, that's what I should, it should be called embrace the suck, but it's actually, uh, it's a working title. I don't know if I want to, uh, <laughs> put it out there yet, but embracing the suck is definitely a thread throughout the story and embrace the suck is my title of my corporate speak speech or speech that I give to groups of people. Yeah, I love that. And you don't have to give us a title. I just didn't know if, if you had it yet. We've obviously, obviously you're a champion and we like to ask, you know, what do you think made you a success in swimming? But I think you've answered that with, you know, that deep down gear and being relentless and wanting to be extraordinary. Um, unless you have something else you want to add to that, I think that covers most of the bases. The only other one I would add is consistency. I think that all champions, anyone who's at the top of their, their sport, their career in business, whatever it may be, consistency is always the common thread. You know, they're not working hard and being super relentless one week and not the other. It's day in, day out, meticulous with details every single hour of the day. And I think that's really one of the top traits that I see in really successful, extraordinary people. Yeah. And that was the question I was going to ask because we, we've talked about your traits. So that is the traits that you think champions share. Is there anything else that you see across champions besides like consistency and relentlessness and the things we've talked about? Anything else? I think on some level, there's the lack of, I, I think that you kind of have to not care what people think of you in terms of, you. I guess it's a hard, a hard thing to say. Like, I always care what people think of me, but you can't care if people think you're, oh, this person just working too hard, or why is that person staying late? Or is that person a goody two-shoe? Like, there's so many things that you have to do as an elite athlete, where you have to be meticulous about the details, you have to go above and beyond, that sometimes can isolate you from people and, and sometimes can make people maybe not understand you if you're not surrounded with others who think similarly to you. And I think that sometimes that can be really difficult. I know for me, when I was younger, it was sometimes isolating because I would feel like I'd have a, have a moment of like, Oh, like, well, what's wrong with me? You know, why are, why am I like this? I feel like I was fortunate later in my life to be surrounded with a lot of elite athletes day in and day out. So it wasn't an issue, but I think sometimes when you stand alone and you aren't with people who, who get it, who get what that mentality looks like, it can be very easy to be swayed over to the other side of mediocrity and just kind of doing what the group does. And sometimes it takes someone to say, no, like, let's stay later. Or no, I'm not going to back off on this one. Or no, I'm going to go in on that extra day when maybe other people aren't. Uh, and, and that can be, that can be really hard sometimes. Oh, that is, I think that's gold. I mean, I think yeah. that is just nails it because champions do need to, you do need to go against the grain a lot of times to, to be number one. So beautiful, beautiful. Well, you're talking about excellence and not everybody knows what excellence is or how to achieve it, but it sounds like as a young person, you know, you, you had a desire for it deep down. And was there a coach that inspired you or just was this sort of internal? It's funny. I think it was always self-driven. I was always a very intense, obsessive little girl, I think. And I think I was actually fortunate because sometimes I was pretty oblivious or ignorant to the fact that people would maybe be making fun of me of, of how intense I was about certain things. Uh, so I think I was just born like that based on what my parents tell me throughout this whole book writing process. I've dug a little deeper into that and into my psyche when I was, you know, five, six, seven, eight years old. But I do think that I've had coaches along the way that have, instead of stifling that, they've supported that and just let me run, run with it. And I think sometimes parents or coaches or you know, family members can stifle that. 
And I think it's just important to let that person just support that person and, and let them go for it. Mm, nice. Nice. Well, our very last question that we uh, like to ask all of our guests is, is there anything that we have not covered with you that you would like to share with our listeners? Hmm. I would say more of, my, I guess, my message of, of when, I, when I talk about swimming and I talk about athletics and what it does for you as a person, I think sometimes people put Olympians or people, we talk about champions up on this pedestal. And I have gone through all of the same feelings, emotions as anyone else out there. So as a teenage girl, I was having boy, boy drama and boy problems. And I, you know, was always worried about if my clothes looked right on me or if my pants, you know, were too short because I had super long legs. I think that's a message that I love to share with people because I think it's very easy to think that this person accomplished something in the pool. It makes them maybe different than anyone else, but they go through every single thing and emotion that anyone else does. <laughs> cool. So you're just, just the same, you're just a, an average girl out there. <laughs> yes. Yes. A hundred percent. Well, and also that's an encouragement to the average people out there that, I mean, you know, and it, and it goes with the theme of our show is champion being a champion in your own life. I mean, you know, we may not have your talent or your opportunity, but we can, we can do some of the things that you've done. Uh, knowing that you've had the same struggles that the rest of us have and, and, and create and be excellent in our own lives. Yeah. I truly believe that every single person can be extraordinary in their own right. I think everyone has a different definition of what that looks like, but that's the beauty of it. Every single person just has to define what that is. And I think a lot of times people don't take the time to sit down and say, Hey, what is being extraordinary look like for you? What yes. does it look like? And I, I don't know how many people could answer that. But once you can, it's an awesome feeling. Yeah, that's a great question and, and message for everyone. So, Katie, if our listeners want to connect further with you, do you have a website or Instagram or what's the best way for them to find you and, and see when your book comes out and any anything else they want to know about you? Yes. So my Instagram, and I'm very active on that, is just K, the letter K, the letter T, my last name, H-O-F-F, -F, the number seven, which fun fact that lane seven was the first uh, 400 IM Olympic team, 2004. That was the lane I was in. So I have seven <laughs> oh, everywhere. Um, and then my website is the same, www.kthoff.com. Great. Very good. And we'll put that in the show notes as well. Well, it has been so fabulous. Thank you very much for your time and, you know, and inspiring us all in unique ways that, you know, you just probably never dreamed you would, but you're a real inspiration to me, Katie, and I really appreciate you. Me too, oh Katie. Gosh. You use thank words you. And, and different ways that really make my heart expand. So thank you very much and look forward to reading your book. Oh my Definitely. gosh. Thank you both so much. It's been great chatting with you guys and hope you guys are staying healthy and safe during this time. We are. Yes, thank you. you too. Thanks. Takeaways, takeaways, takeaways. We've heard from you that your favorite section of our podcast is the takeaways. Thank you so much for that feedback. But before we get to the takeaways today, we wanted to ask you if you would please give us a five-star review. That way, more people will be able to find our podcast. Also, if you could subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify, you'll never miss a podcast episode if you subscribe. And please share our podcast with your friends. And now, the takeaways. So, Maria, what an awesome interview. I just loved Katie. How about you? I, yeah, oh, I did too. I thought... I like, uh, you know, what I've talked about this before, but my goal for this year to be more reflective. And Katie has spent the last year, five years reflecting, and it's just a delight to talk to her and hear her wisdom. So, yeah, I loved it. Yes, yes. Uh, what was your first takeaway? Well, I was so inspired by, you know, it's this, it's similar to other things we've heard, but the language around deep down, <laughs> her finding her deep down 
which, you know, she discovered as, as a young person that she had a deep down, which was, as she put it, another gear that, you know, that hurt and was hard, but that she could engage whenever she wanted to, to win or to push harder or to do well. I, I, I find just the calling it a deep down is, is wonderful. And, and, and I guess my takeaway is, you know, where can I look for a deep down in myself around the different things that I do in my life? You know, what's, what's a deep down, uh, for me. So I, I love that. What about you, Kelly? Yeah. And Maria, I knew you were going to relate to that when, the minute I heard it, because I think you are the type of person who knows how to find her deep down. Obviously, when you're out there riding your endurance bike races, you you got to go deep down and you have another gear like none of your competitors. But I think it would be interesting for you to look at that or for any of us to look at that in other areas of our life. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe so, just pick one, one, you know, one area it's like that I'd like to improve in and see if I can find a deep down. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, and yeah, I think it's, it's a, it's a really good one to think about it. it it's going to take some reflection yeah. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> so my first takeaway and I loved it right at the beginning, you know, there's no mincing words. Katie knows that she's didn't win the gold. That was the one accolade within her swimming career that she didn't do. And I really loved her authenticity of saying, you know, I'm never going to fully accept that I didn't win the gold. She's, you know, she made two Olympics. She was the world record holder and she still never won that gold. But I love just that she was so genuine to say, you know, I'm never going to accept it. So the, the takeaway there is there are many things in life that we are going to want and that we're not going to get, but that if we look at the way she said she learned to appreciate the journey, which is, you know, it sounds very overused and very trite, but it's really not that what she got out of the journey was possibly equal to the reward of what a gold medal would have been. And, you know, there are a lot of things that, you know, I was a little kid like her going to sleep in my bathing suit and I wanted to win a gold medal. I, I wanted to just <laughs> go to the Olympics, mm -hmm. but I never did. But you know what? I got so much out of my swimming career, even though I never achieved that goal. So I think she didn't achieve her gold medal. I didn't achieve going to the Olympics, whatever you know, our listeners have out there, maybe they've wanted to get something that was just a little out of reach. And I, and I, I think that's a, a big part of going for something big that you might miss that the old saying, you know, shoot for the moon and you'll land on the stars. So I think by just knowing that you're shooting for something that you really want, you may or may not end up with it, but you're going to get something out of it. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I really loved that authenticity too. I, you know, the way I thought about it was so many times we have deep disappointments in our life. You mm -hmm. know, there's ex expectations and there's loss. And sometimes you're not going to accept it. It's like, oh, yeah, that happened. And that, you know, uh, for me, the loss of my sister, I don't know that I'll ever be able to accept it. But mm -hmm. I can live with it and know that there are things that I've learned from that experience and I'm a different person because of having gone through it. So I, I thought it was beautiful too. And it isn't Pollyanna, you know, these, mm -hmm. when we don't get what we want <laughs> and especially if we've really worked hard for it, or if we lose something that we really wanted to keep, that's, you know, there's no, there's no way to, to pretty that up. And mm -hmm. I loved how she said, you know, it, you know, the journey is, you know, that she, she missed it, but she, she's coming to, to appreciate what she learned. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. My second takeaway, which we've talked about many times on the show, but I, I guess I can't get enough of it is, <laughs> you know, it's the finding your why. And I, you know, I guess the, the slight different take on it is your why is going to be different at different times. And, you know, you have to, you have to be willing to try something out. And if it doesn't, if you can't get your deep down gear in that why, then you can move on to a different why. So I, I thought 
she was really interesting in her discussions around that because she's had to, of course, change what she works for. And she's learned. And I think that the time when she was talking to different doctor groups about the pulmonary embolus and DVT, that she had a nice why in there that got her the transition from leaving swimming to a new career. So I think that's a good, the good takeaway there is your why right now might be different from your why in the future or your why in the past. Yes. I love that. I love that. Beautiful. Yeah. And so my final takeaway was when we asked her, you know, what, what traits do you think champions share? And she came up with one, which we didn't, we, we hear some of them very repetitively because they are common among champions, but a kind of a newer one was the word meticulous, mm. which, you know, you and I it really resonated with both of us. And I think that, you know, people that are meticulous sometimes are seen, you know, it may, it may not always be the most um, complimentary word, but that it is a part of success. Successful people are looking, you know, I would definitely say Michael Phelps is meticulous about every part of his race, you know, the turn, the streamlines, the underwaters that, you know, um, that that is something that I think was a great takeaway to just maybe if you're doing something in your life that you want to be a little more successful at, you could ask yourself, are you being meticulous enough with where you want to be, you know, with where you want to go? So I, I really like that. Oh, I, I did too. And I love how you just put that the way we can apply it to our lives. That's, that's really helpful because it's, it's just another way of achieving excellence is a paying attention to the details and doing it right. And she was talking about it in the context of being maybe criticized for it. Mm -hmm. Sometimes, sometimes I think when you're, when you're trying to pop your head in above average, people might try to pull you down a little bit. And so when you're behaving in a way that's meticulous, people might be like, why are you, why are you going to such extremes? But I love applying that word to something that maybe I'm not succeeding in right now, but I would like to succeed to try to think about being meticulous. That's great. Thanks, Kelly. And I, I loved that you told me that I'm meticulous with this podcast. Yes, you are. That's why we're <laughs> successful. Yeah. So I, I think, but in some ways I thought, hmm, is that, is that a compliment? But who cares? You know, it yeah, is. I, I, I mean, I, I think it is in terms of the word of excellence. Yes. Meticulous yeah. is how, what you, I think it is. Awesome. I think among champions, it's a great word. Yes. Yes. Well, Maria, uh, thank you so much for doing this with me. I really enjoyed that interview. It was just great to catch up with Katie Hoff after five years of retirement. So I, I got a lot out of it. Me too. I loved it. Love being with you, Kelly. You too. Love you, Maria. Bye-bye. Bye. This week's quote of the week comes to us from Katie Hoff. Anything big worth accomplishing is going to be painful physically, mentally, emotionally during the process. You've been listening to the Champions Mojo podcast with host Kelly Palace and Maria Parker. Champions Mojo is produced by Cobra Media, and a new episode debuts every Tuesday. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us a five-star review. Follow Champions Mojo on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Champions Mojo.